welcome to the Glow Journal podcast, a conversation with the beautiful minds behind the world's biggest beauty brands. I'm your host, beauty writer Gemma Watts, and in this episode, I'm joined by the founder of Eye of Horace Cosmetics, Holly Schleck. Holly has always had a realistic understanding of what it takes to build a beauty business. Holly's parents owned small businesses themselves, and Holly's mum actually created her own simple skincare products so that she could set her daughter up with a skincare routine as a preteen. They passed their learnings on to Holly, who entered the beauty industry after completing her studies and launched a skincare brand with her mother and her auntie. This brand took the trio all over the world, however, it simply wasn't commercially viable. So Holly went back to the drawing board and channeled her passions for business, beauty and nature into developing her own colour cosmetics line, Eye of Horace. The brand began in 2011 as a single mascara that Holly would sell at local markets, unsure if she would ever extend the line. It was when she received a two-page handwritten letter from a customer who had been through chemotherapy and hadn't been able to find a mascara that worked for her until finding Eye of Horace, that Holly knew she was in the right place. Holly then expanded the line to include an eye pencil and a liquid eyeliner, with the popularity of both products soaring following a genius spot of guerrilla marketing at a trade show, the story of which Holly did share in our chat, with a full colour cosmetics line and more recently a facial oil launching across the ensuing years. Today, other than continuing to grow the brand, Holly is focused on working towards a circular economy, elevating her brand's sustainability initiatives and maintaining the kinds of relationships she founded her brand on at the local markets over 10 years ago. In this conversation, Holly shares why it's important to recognise your own weaknesses as a business owner and hire accordingly, how starting with a solid foundation can allow your brand to be fluid without straying from its values, and how a shirtless man at a beauty expo helped Holly prove that a little budget can go a long, long way. I understand that you worked in the beauty industry prior to launching your brand, but I would love to rewind even further. So to start, what is your very earliest memory of beauty? So I have a collection of visions and memories, but I think one of the most vivid memories that comes to mind is of mum applying mascara to her lashes in many, many layers. I used to watch her do her makeup in the morning and I remember just being amazed at the impact that it had on her face and thinking, wow, she looks so beautiful and vibrant. And to be honest, as a little girl, the whole concept of like painting the little hairs around your eyes black was a bit unusual. And I see probably the same look of confusion on my boys' faces like, what's my mama doing (laughs) when they watch me do my makeup I have a one and a three-year-old but I was born with super light features I had white blonde hair and fair lashes and brows so probably like many little girls I couldn't wait to do my makeup just like she did but aside from that early memory I guess the most impactful memory of beauty that I have is more centered around skin and Mm -hmm. skincare 
Because for as long as I can remember, mum always emphasised the importance of having a good quality skincare regime, which I think I used from as early on as like seven or eight. I have really sensitive skin and she set me up with this simple skincare system, which she made herself. Mm. Um, Yeah, it involved a gentle cleanser and a toner, which was generally like a rose water spritz, which is still one of my favorite products to use and a moisturizer. And we always had a botanical oil in the bathroom to use it as a multi-purpose product. It was just a natural part of our daily routine, either on the skin or to cleanse or as a body oil. She would make different tinctures and treatments for the family to heal a wound or a cut, or we would take them internally for inner health. So I think this was just instilled into me from such a young age and it's probably what ignited my love of botanical ingredients and beauty rituals and plant medicine and the journey just evolved from there. Well while we're on your upbringing I read somewhere that your parents had their own small business so I would love to know if you grew up thinking that one day maybe you would start your own business or if that is an ambition that came along a bit later. Yeah, my dad is, he's a building designer and he ran his own construction company, mm-hmm. a commercial construction company. And mum's always had several businesses in a variety of industries. She ran her own restaurant and cafe, which I used to work in before and after school and on weekends. We grew up in country Victoria in Aubrey-Wodonga and um yeah, she, she did a range of things. She ran like educational programs for children with disabilities, but she always, um, supported my dad in business and had this kind of work life balance and juggled children at home and businesses. And I guess they both taught me, you know, the importance of working hard and that work ethic that, you know, you get what you put in and I couldn't wait to be old enough to sort of get my own job at 14 and nine months and make my own money. And I've never really liked having that set schedule. I've really, I've worked in a variety of businesses and industries myself. And um, yeah, I feel after a while, I feel quite restricted and this kind of resistance when I'm doing the one thing for too long. And I can only do it for too long. I'm naturally a a creative person and I really love the process of coming up with an idea and watching it sort of manifest into something. So I guess in answer to your question, yeah, I think I always knew I wanted my own business and that influence probably did come from my upbringing and it was ingrained in me to see my parents as their own bosses creating and building something from the ground up and there's sort of that, you know, creative freedom and flexibility and satisfaction that you get when you can um, have your own business and you work like an artist, I guess, in your own free way. I love that. So what did you think that you might be when you grew up? Cool. Um, I think like a lot of people, I didn't really know what I wanted to be or where I wanted to take my career. Mm-hmm. I've always been into the arts and entertainment and in particular the music industry did interest me as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I've lived like a healthy lifestyle. I was into health and wellness and travel, but 
yeah, it was probably like an events organiser or band manager or something. <laughs> so you studied business and marketing and then you furthered those studies in naturopathy. I have a few questions about this time. Firstly, that first course that you did in business and marketing, was the plan at that point to go specifically into the beauty industry with those qualifications or was it business in, say, a broader sense that you were interested in? Yeah, I think I wanted, I knew I wanted to run my own business one day, which is why, you know, when I finished school, I enrolled in the Bachelor of Business Marketing and it gave me a a good sort of general understanding of business and principles of marketing. And it did lead me to secure a role in the arts and entertainment industry. Mm -hmm. So I worked for a talent management company which represented actors and hosts wow. and presenters and in film and tv so it seemed quite glamorous and it was super fun I was young and you know I was working in the city in Melbourne attending events and I guess I saw firsthand how business operated and I had to perform under pressure and to deadlines and everything was super fast paced and it was a really great learning experience but I think after a while, I was just feeling like unfulfilled in the industry, I guess. I couldn't really see a career path for me that I knew would fulfill me. Um, I'm driven, I guess, by my intuition and I feel like it guides me well. And as I mentioned, I've always kind of also been interested in health and wellness and that mind, body, spirit connection and lived a healthy lifestyle. So around the same time I started working on creating a skincare just in general for friends and family. It was more, I guess, like a creative outlet for me. Um, I never had the intention of creating a beauty brand as such. Um, I never really thought I would work in makeup in particular. I liked wearing makeup. I wore minimal makeup and I'm not your typical beauty person, but I guess, yeah, it's been a vehicle of creating and producing something that has a positive impact on people's lives. And it's something that, yeah, I I absolutely love now. So, Well, I wanted to ask as well about what led you to naturopathy, naturopathy, whichever side of the street you were brought up on. But I guess you always had that interest. It was always there. Yeah, I did. And there was probably this pivotal moment when I was in my high school years. It was around um, year nine or 10. I was like 14, 15. And I became really sick with glandular fever. And Mm -hmm. that further developed into chronic fatigue syndrome. And it was so debilitating and frustrating. And I missed out on so much time at school, I think, out of a year I was at school for like three months and it was just like my body wouldn't get up in the morning my mind was fine but it was such a crazy experience like as an active teenager I played sports I was you know into music and art big group of friends we were super social but you know it's an impressionable time in your life too like a 15 year old girl but my health and energy was declining and doctors couldn't do anything for me and they didn't have answers or solutions. And I was referred to a naturopath. And honestly, it was the only thing that assisted my recovery. She put me on like this combination of 
alternative therapies. There was these breathing exercises and like fasting and combination of herbs. And yeah, I was really intrigued by how this worked on my body. And I always wanted to know more about it. So after I completed studying business, I enrolled in the course to learn mainly more for my own kind of personal knowledge and interest. And I love learning and I'll continue to constantly expand my knowledge, but I've never had the intention to own my practice or anything <laughs> and to have patience. But um, yeah, to your question about natural beauty, this is something that's certainly influenced by mum. And um, yeah, I feel also being a naturally sensitive person that I'm always searching for solutions that are natural and effective. Mm-hmm. So after completing those studies, but before launching your own brand, you worked in beauty specifically in product development. Were there any lessons you took from that time that you find you're still applying to your work now? Yeah, well, I've been making my own skincare products and using botanical oils in particular on my skin for years. And like I said, I'm quite sensitive. So I'd get irritations from products and I was looking for alternatives in clean beauty that also performed. That was super important. Um, I developed an Australian made organic skincare brand with mum and my auntie was involved too. And she's pretty close in age to me. She's more like a sister. So um, the brand was kind of a simple skincare regime. So it was not unlike the one she'd set me up with. Yeah. Yeah. Full circle. Yeah, exactly. Um, It was called One Skin System. No one's probably heard of it, but um, the concept was five functional and essential products that sort of contained everything you needed for optimum skin health. And the products were amazing. I love them so much. And I guess I learned my trade through this brand. I learned the creative process of formulation versus like the commercial process and how to align the two. Um, I learned cosmetic ingredients and the process of compatibility and stability testing and sourcing packaging and labeling and all those things, how to work with cosmetic formulators. And we were pretty committed to the brand and determined to make something unique. And yeah, we traveled um, to beauty trade shows all over the world, New York, Hong Kong, and we wanted to source the best in packaging and create something that was kind of really innovative and um, provide solutions that was based on sort of Australian based ingredients. And in terms of product development specifically, I think about this all the time, because yeah, I'm working in an industry surrounded by makeup artists and brands have teams of product developers and you know although I have experience when I sit back and think about our approach to formulation it's a bit intimidating (laughs) because I'm not a trained makeup artist or beautician but I guess I approach the formulation process from what I would personally wear and use and how I would like the products to perform so it's more coming from like a customer's perspective in mind and creating essential products that probably appeal to a wider audience. And I, I feel like I know how I want the products to perform and how I want the color payoff to be in the texture and consistency and what features and benefits I want in there. And yeah, I love the process and um, naturally your manufacturer is your partner in that process. Mm. And 
you know, they play a pivotal role in your supply chain and the ability to deliver a product that's everything that you want. And um, also they have that challenge of utilising natural botanical ingredients. So, yeah, there's a lot of value in establishing those relationships and choosing the right partners. And we travel the world to visit beauty trade shows and meet and select what we consider to be the best in the world at producing that particular range of products. So, um, you know, different manufacturers specialise in different products. Um, so establishing those good working relationships with, the pe with these people is... Um, imperative and you want your customers to connect to the products the way that you intended it so yeah i guess lessons around relationships and communicating what you want um overall we're trying to do the right thing by people in the planet and everything we do comes from a place of creativity and and love and driven by intuition and i guess i'm a big believer in energy and i believe if you put goodness out there you'll get goodness back and I think our team sees that and our partners do and hopefully it also translates through our products to our customers. Well as someone who uses your brand I can say that yes it does. Um, a little light bulb went off earlier when you were talking about how your first memory of beauty was specifically around mascara. You launched your brand Eye of Horus in 2011 with a single mascara, so yet another full circle moment. Where did this idea, though, to start your brand come from? What was the gap in the market that you really wanted to fill? Yeah, so we had the skincare, and although we created a range that I absolutely adored, at the time this wasn't really commercially viable. It was really expensive to produce and manufacture to the high level that we wanted to in Australia, so from there, I took a sidestep and transitioned into colour cosmetics and began working on a mascara for my sensitivities. Um, so for me, it's like mascara is my ultimate beauty product. As I mentioned, I was born with like super fine hair and light features. In fact, when I was young, I remember my parents wanted my brother and I to have our portraits done by this artist and they took us to the studio and he used like this crayon pastel to sketch our portraits. And my brother went first and he sat in the chair and while, you know, this artist created this incredible portrait of him, it was amazing. And then it was my turn to sit in the chair. And like, after a while, I could see this artist getting, it felt like forever, but he was getting kind of agitated and he turned to mum and he was like, I'm so sorry, I'm really struggling to capture any distinctive features of this child. Like, oh she has God. really fine features. My portrait came out as like this skin coloured kind of blob blended with, <laughs> with these blue eyes because he just couldn't capture any defined features because my hair colour and like lack of definition in my face. So you can imagine... You know, in my teens, when I started wearing makeup, it was mascara and eyeliner product and brows that I felt had the largest impact on naturally enhancing my face. <laughs> I was about to say, this is the sort of feedback to get it that young, that's yeah. going to shape your approach to beauty oh, totally. for years to come. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, yeah, I uh, mascara is my absolute hero product um i i feel naked without it um 
but I did feel at the time there was kind of little in the way of high-performing makeup that Mm. embraced the problem that I had. And I began working on a brand dedicated to clean makeup, in particular eye makeup. And yeah, essentially the brand was created out of um, a genuine problem that I'd experienced. So I didn't want to just make, you know, another mascara that the world didn't need, but I did feel there was a gap and um, a need for a mascara that was non-sensitizing and that actually performed. Yeah. So you had the idea. So what came next? It's one thing to have the idea, but how did you find the right manufacturer? Obviously you had a little bit of experience in this area already, but developing packaging, funding the project, how did you physically bring the brand and this product to market? Yeah, so at the time we did have access to manufacturers through the skincare brand, but um, color cosmetics is a very different process to skincare. It's mm. pretty specialized and it requires, you know, greater technology and refined and specific kind of machinery. There's more parameters to consider. Um, it has to be sheared and the texture has to be specific. So, for example, like a lipstick requires a certain stability to hold its shape. It can't melt with heat, but it can't be too solid. And, you know, a brow pencil has to be poured into a specific mould and not break and but be stable enough to, you know, withstand pressure of application. So the costs of the specific machinery were high and they required you know, huge volumes to be viable. And the Australian market at the time, because we're talking back in 2010, 2011, they didn't have the volumes as compared with manufacturers in other countries that do volumes in the millions. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when all you make is mascara, you become pretty specialised at it. So we went offshore for our colour cosmetic production back then. Uh, We knew exactly what we want in the product and we knew how we wanted it to perform. So after many, many visits, um, we went to trade shows and we found a manufacturer who had been making mascaras their specialty. And um, there's so many components to mascara, which we didn't know at the time. (laughs) Had we have known, maybe we wouldn't have gone down that path. Ignorance is bliss. Totally. But, you know, there's so many different parts and everything has to work together. There's the brush, the stopper, the formula and, you know, the container. They're all made from different materials a lot of the time too. So um, they have to work together to ensure that they are, you know, high performing and they don't dry out and that they're safe, like antimicrobial safety is key mm-hmm. as well. So we got there and created this mascara. It was something I was super proud of delivering. And um, I even still didn't really set out to have an international beauty brand. I was trying to create a product that I just wanted to use on my eyes. And I felt that there was a gap there in the market. So um, to physically get the product out to market and to test it out, I started selling it at markets so Ah. yeah so to set the scene of the times though this was around yeah like i said 2010 2011 and there was no instagram and Mm. you know facebook was just sort of starting but it was more for people to connect to each other brands weren't really doing much on facebook and people weren't buying online and i wanted to be able to get the product into the people's hands and talk to them about it and 
I wanted a public forum to do that. So um, yeah, decided to sell it markets just to get some feedback. And the problem for me though, was I didn't really have the expertise to sell. I don't like sales. Yeah. It's a totally different skill set, isn't it? It's totally different. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, I love creating, but I'm not a salesperson, but I was living with a good girlfriend at the time, um, a really good friend of mine, and she is incredible at sales. She could talk to anyone. She loved to talk. And um, she was working in banking at the time and she agreed. So we started the journey of working together on this brand and we actually did really well with sales at markets and it was a good little um, customer base of fans that we were kind of building and, I started getting their email addresses and capturing those for later on. It was, yeah, it was a totally different time, but I guess I remember um, a distinct moment for me, which I think was the moment that I decided that this is what I want to do. And um, I think I found my purpose. Um, We received this handwritten letter from a lady who had purchased mascara from us at a market and it was two pages and it was all about how the mascara made her feel and how it changed how she felt about herself and how much of an impact it had had on her. And she was so open and honest and she shared her story with us and explained how she had cancer and went through chemotherapy and she was unable to wear anything around her eyes that caused Mm. irritation. She was like sensitive to everything and she had her daughter's wedding coming up and she was told through a friend who had bought one of our mascaras at the market that she should try ours and for the first time in years she'd found something that worked and it made her feel confident about herself and she felt so beautiful and she said she even cried at the wedding and you know it withstood the tears it didn't run or smudge and lasted all night and it sounds crazy because it's just makeup but for me not to me does not sound crazy (laughs) to me (laughs) I think yeah that was the definite moment where I went, wow, this is a product we've been able to create ourselves and it's changing the way people feel about themselves and giving them confidence. And I wanted to be a part of that, you know? So that was that pivotal moment that I made the decision that, yeah, this is what I want to do. And, you know, if we can continue to produce products that have a positive impact on people's lives like this, then, um, yeah approaching everything we do with that same you know intention and authenticity then you know my brand has purpose I think that's it from the outset I always wanted to maintain maintain that and also have those direct relationships with our customers wow what a moment I mean that's I really that's what everyone, all of us that work in beauty are doing it for is the confidence element. But to hear that from a complete stranger about a product that you put so much of yourself into, incredible. And and to take the time to, you know, handwrite that letter and send it to a brand as well, you know, to explain how she felt it was, yeah, it was a pretty amazing moment. So from there, I guess it just grew. It was super organic it was a grassroots beginning. So family dispatching orders, we didn't have staff and we didn't really know what we were getting ourselves into. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was a hundred percent self-funded. 
So, Amazing. yeah, everything that we had saved up, um, we were putting in ourselves. My parents helped out, but we were young and um, we didn't have commitments. So we worked 24-7 on the business. And I think, you know, not having that capital makes you creative and it makes you really invested in what you've created. So you put everything you've got into it and um, you need it to work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I built this little Magento website, which was pretty, um, I've learned how to kind of do a little bit of coding and got a website going so people could repurchase the product. And, uh, it was around this time we moved to Byron Bay and Mm -hmm. we had, we found a warehouse where we dispatched from and we were living above it. And, you know, our friends were all getting married and having babies and this sort of became our baby in a way (laughs) we committed a hundred percent to this so the that process from having the idea through to it being available say at the market how long did that process take so the manufacturing and formulation process probably took a year but Mm -hmm. you know the idea and the conception was emotion well before that I would say another part of that process is of course naming the brand that's something we haven't touched on yet now Eye of Horus is of course inspired by ancient Egypt what was it about the ancient Egyptians that you felt an affinity for I know you touched on following your intuition earlier so I imagine that came into play here but how have you worked to bring that ethos to life through your brand? Yeah, so when I was um, studying naturopathy, we learned about the origins of plant medicine and the origins of beauty. And I wanted to know more about like where makeup and self-care originated from. And I became fascinated with learning about, you know, ancient alchemy and history and wisdom of plant healing. And the ancient Egyptians were one of the first civilizations to use and wear makeup and also practice beauty rituals. And they, you know, they valued um, self-care. And I loved learning the stories of their symbolism and philosophy. And they used what they had access to at the time and that was usually waxes and oils and they grind up pigments and use it not only for makeup but beautifying but they also had this spiritual element to it as well so for an example they'd line their eyes with the coal eyeliner to make that almond shape the eye of Horus to ward off you know evil spirits and things and I think a few things resonated with me firstly because they were such an advanced civilization who had an incredible knowledge of plant healing um they created the first medicinal text um wow and secondly i love that they yeah it's called the ebers papyrus and it was all um plant medicine it's Mm -hmm. incredible um but Yeah, I guess also that point on self-care and beauty rituals and how they really made self-care part of their existence and they celebrated that in ceremonies. So the intention of the brand originally was just to focus on eye makeup products, but obviously the product offering grew and from there it's now, you know, now it's a complete colour cosmetics brand. Um, But, yeah, I guess we look 
a little bit different to what we did in those early days when the brand was very uh, Egyptian inspired. It was very bold and black and gold. And we've shifted our focus on our core pillars, which are clean, natural and minimal beauty. That's kind of more elevated. And we had to refresh our overall branding and the transition has been in motion, I think, for a few years now. But it feels like it's just starting to be translated to our customers. And um, yeah, it's it's a huge transition, but you know, I think brands can be fluid and they have to continue to adapt and evolve. And it's important because the landscape's changing and throughout our brand evolution, our core pillars and values have remained the same. And we produce, you know, high performance products with clean formulas, with sustainability at the forefront. And I would like our brand to sort of transcend trends and generations and speak to a wide range of people. I don't want to just follow trends. I want us to remain relevant and timeless. And I want to use the brand. I want it time. So I feel like yeah, once you've built that firm foundation of beliefs and in everything you do is a ref reflection of those values in a way. So yeah, every decision becomes easy because you've estab established like a value system already and you can base those decisions off if, if that makes sense. It does. That's such a great point on having that firm foundation because as you've said that does mean that you can refresh the branding and keep it really fluid but you're still staying true to what you built initially otherwise yeah. you're just if you don't have the foundation there you're refreshing and changing and just trying so hard to keep it relevant that you completely drift away from what you wanted to do in the beginning yeah absolutely yeah that's it so speaking of what you wanted to do in the beginning you launch with one mascara did you intend on it then becoming a complete colour cosmetics line or was the plan just to launch with the one product and then play it by ear? Yeah, pretty much. Like the original intention was to specialise in eye makeup mm -hmm. and brows um, that, were, that worked for, you know, sensitive eyes and it did grow from there. So we started with the mascara and released eyeliners. We expanded into brows uh, then release eyeshadows and um, lips, and now we've we've released our first um, foundation product. Mm, I'm obsessed with it. So. <laughs> Absolutely head over heels. So, how did you then go? You're selling at the market. You start. You create a you know a basic website. How did you then go about physically getting the brand into different stockists? Mm. Well, we knew we didn't want to do markets forever. Um, yep. We were growing <laughs> and we were getting interest from salons, salons and beauticians and we decided to book a site at the International Beauty Expo in Sydney. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this was kind of our first official launch as a company. It was 2012 by this stage. And at the time, we developed three products. So we had the Goddess Mascara in black, a black pencil and a liquid liner in black. Mm -hmm. um, but we'd booked like this tiny site, I think, 
it was because everything's self-funded. So we were like, yeah. we want to be there, but we don't have like twenty to fifty thousand dollars to, you know, book this incredible site. So we're going to take what we can get. So I think we booked it and it was in like hall three. So there's hall one, which is, you know, all the prestigious brands, hall two, which is probably more hair and makeup focus. And then we were in hall three, which was like the new business section mm-hmm. where you're kind of placed where no one really knows who you are. <laughs> but um yeah, it was a huge risk because the sites were super expensive. I think at the time we paid around $5,000 just to exhibit and um, we had to get to Sydney and stay and um, we were there and paid for everything personally and our site, it was tiny. It was so small. Like we could barely fit our stock, our display and ourselves in the setup. Um, but that's what we get for our budget and we have to work with it. And we knew we couldn't, um, we knew we, you know, had to stand out and make a bit of a buzz. So we decided to get, we were kind of strategic about it because we knew this was coming. We knew it was going to be small and we had to make an impact. And so I asked my cousin and her very good looking model boyfriend to come along for the, from Melbourne to Sydney. Um, but we weren't allowed, you know, official promo staff. Well, we could, but we'd have to pay like $1,500 per head for Ooh. promo staff to like walk around and hand out brochures and things. Um, but, you know, they could hand out gifts, apparently. That was allowed. Ah, so, this oh, is a nice loophole. Yeah, a nice little loophole here. So we need you to stand at the site and your job is to basically hand out golden wrapped chocolates to try and lure people into the site (laughs) love it so we dressed my cousin up in this she was in this like beautiful golden gown like an egyptian goddess and we dressed him up or down as like a pharaoh with his bare chest and muscles showing and he just wore pants i think (laughs) so he was there in the front of our site holding a bowl of chocolates And I think people were just like, who is this guy? What is his brand? And what is going on here? And literally within an hour, we had three people deep around us. There was a lineup of people so intrigued by what was going on. And like one of the selling points of our eyeliner pencils is that the texture is so soft and it glides on and then it sets after 30 seconds and it doesn't budge. So Mm -hmm. it's a pretty visual, easy sell. People could see its performance, you know, in front of their eyes. And I'll never forget looking over at one point and he swatched the eyeliner pencil on his chest. Oh, thank you very much. Girls to rub the product off. <laughs> gotta do what you gotta and do. It just created that. <laughs> it was so crowded. We sold every product we took with us. We sold, you know, pre-packaged point of sale stands. We sold more than what we had. Um, I think we signed up like 250 stockers at the show. We didn't even have that many stands. We had distributors come up to us wanting to discuss exporting the brand. And yeah, I it just it went very well and I think yeah maybe what kind of appealed to people was like we're talking back then so the trend was super clinical 
Um, mm -hmm. Like you'd walk around the halls and there were sales assistants in lab coats pretending yeah. to be scientists. You know, everything was white. Everything was glossy and silver and science-backed everything. And, you know, there was that term cosmeceutical that everyone was using. And um, I think we were just refreshing. It was black and gold and organic looking. And it was just this crazy stark contrast to what was going on at the time. And um, I guess coupled with that major draw card was it was such a compact um, range and retailers could take it on and they could, you know, it would complement other ranges that they had invested in. So it wasn't a big kind of commitment for them. So yeah, it was, um, it was really successful and we kind of um, grew from there. So we were in, a range of retailers and salons and beauticians and I guess we we just kind of uh, it evolved and we had belief in it we knew the product was good um we were covering all aspects of the business by that stage there's only two of us doing it with the help of my parents as well and I was doing marketing and the creative side of it and my business partner was um I think she quit her job in banking by that stage and she was doing all the sales side and the customer service. And I think people could see it was just two young girls, you know, launching a brand. We, um, we were easy to talk to approachable and um, they wanted to support us. And we've sort of continued to maintain those relationships with our customers and suppliers and retailers. And um, I think they liked us and they liked what we stood for. May I just thank you for being realistic about budget as well mm -hmm. because I've had a guest on here, I won't name names, but they said something to the tune of very casually, all you really need is $25,000 and you can start your brand now. And I was like, oh, oh good, oh. okay. <laughs> I know, <sighs> yeah, I think, yeah, if it's all self-funded, like I say, you, you've got to make it work. You're so yeah. determined and you put your soul into it. So, yeah, there is value in um, in that because it's you live and breathe it, so mm. you need it to to work <laughs> yeah you can't be blase about these things now there are a handful of sacred oils that really serve as the cornerstone of the eye of horace brand can you talk me through some of those signature hero ingredients and why they're so special uh yeah so we we use ingredients like moringa oil um it's it's a hero oil for us um hemp abyssinian pomegranate oil, they've all got sort of deep roots in Middle Eastern history. And yeah, we take ingredients, um, you know, from the past, I guess. And Moringa oil is one of those ingredients from the past. It's been teamed the, um, the tree of life for its antioxidant and nutrient rich attributes. Um, it was actually found buried in alabaster jars in the tombs in Egypt. So wow. it is considered a very sacred oil. Um, but yeah, it's just got incredible properties. Um, the seven seed oil that we've released as well contains a lot of these beautiful oils. So it came from research into um, the oldest known book, which was that um, 
medicinal text that I was talking about, the Ebers papyrus. So um, these oils are known for their healing properties. And along with Moringa, we include castor oil and hemp, and we're now celebrating the oils across the range um, and include them in, yeah, most products across the range because they've got incredible healing and anti-aging properties. I have been pretty vocal particularly on Instagram, about which of your products are my favourites. But which products have you found to be the like the overall runaway successes? Yes, thank you for your incredible support. Uh, no, thank you. And the products. Credit where credit's due. They're yeah. amazing products. Um, I think that the Goddess Mascara, ultimately, yep. Um, our Bio Lip Elixir, which I absolutely love. Mm-hmm. And of course, our brand new skin tint serum. Absolutely. Hands down. Love it. It's incredible. Yeah. It, I can't speak highly enough about it. Did you, those products, did you suspect that they would be the best sellers, the most popular products, or did they prove quite surprising to you? Mm, I think because our approach to product formulation, like those values of, of slow ethical beauty, and it takes a long time for us to formulate our products. We're really meticulous with what we put in. And, um, you know, we're used to the process of formulating from scratch because historically you couldn't go to a manufacturer like you can now and say, hey, we want to develop a cleanser, for example, and they give you three options. You know, they give you ABC base formula. You add some ingredients, put your name on it, and there you have a product. Our process involves building a product with a specific set of criteria around ingredients and performance, and we have to provide benchmarks for scent profiles and benchmarks on consistency and it all takes a long time for manufacturers to get it right and yeah it's tricky and you go through a huge sampling process but when you get it right it's um it's so rewarding and it's a breakthrough when you arrive at this product that you know you've put your heart and soul into it um we back everything that we put out to market because it has to be the product that I want to wear myself and I want to share it with our customers. And, um, you know, I wouldn't put anything out there. I wasn't hundred percent on. So I guess, yeah, in answer to your question, I think I did expect them to sell well based on their quality and efficacy, but you know, you always have that element of fear. Like what if no one really likes this or it doesn't perform. So well, on the other side of that coin, have there been any major missteps or things that you might do differently or even just lessons that you wish you had known in hindsight? Oh, constantly making mistakes and learning in business. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we grew organically and like I said, we launched the brand quite a long time ago in the world of beauty. Um And we didn't really strategize our positioning, I guess, back then. We took on opportunities when they came to us, for example, you know, alignment with different stockists that didn't always represent who we were. And at the start, it's all so exciting and it's easy to expand too quickly and take on every opportunity. But I guess the key is to be strategic in who you want to represent your brand and getting that positioning and identity right from the outset. Um, that's, you know, it's crucial because 
once people have a perception of your brand and where it's positioned, it's really hard to then kind of reinvent yourself. It can be done, but you know, it's a long and costly road. And yeah, I think that's the major one. Um, another lesson is the importance of building a culture within a brand because we've always treated our staff like family. And I think, you know, sometimes you hire someone that it has all these incredible attributes and, um, you know, they're going to do great things. But if they don't fit into the culture, then it can have such a negative impact on the rest of the team, no matter how amazing they are and how much of an expert they are. Um, so yeah, culture is huge and building that, that team of champions that can step in when you, when you need them to. Sustainability is another really big part of the Eye of Horus ethos. So I would love to spend a bit of time on that in as much or as little detail as you wish. Can you talk me through some of the sustainability initiatives and practices that you have in place and also any major goals in that space that you might be working towards? Yeah, so I think colour cosmetics have a long way to go to be truly sustainable. And luckily we've been able to partner with some leading manufacturers who are making huge leaps in recycled plastic and glass and metals. And um, yeah, we definitely strive to have our packaging in as many eco-friendly, you know, package, packaging and materials as possible. And we've just launched, we're about to launch our mascara in a PCR container. Wow. So we, yeah. Um, we prefer recycled plastic to bioplastics because we feel bioplastics can increase the demand for farmland and water and take away mm -hmm. from food production. But recycled plastic and post-consumer resin, PCR, um, it reduces waste to landfill and directly contributes to like the circular economy. So um, we're starting to... Um, shift and change all the packaging to PCR. Our cartons are all recycled paper. We're developing a refill pack um, for our compacts. So the outer wow. package is made from a sustainable metal and then the customer can, you know, keep that for life and just purchase the refills without throwing anything away. So, yeah, our overall goal is to um, build a circular economy economy and we accept we have a long way to go because as mentioned with the complexities in color cosmetics um there's there's a lot to consider and um it's something that we're we're working towards sourcing the most sustainable packaging and manufacturing processes where possible but our new skin tint serum is locally produced we're so super proud of that product um it's you know, made from PCR plastic and fair trade oils and packaging made from PCR. So, yeah. That product has completely blown my mind because it just, I, I said this on Instagram and it sounds like I'm being extreme, but it literally ticks every single box for me. Oh, amazing. Yeah, it's, it, we're pretty excited. We're equally as excited as you about it. I feel like it is a bit of a revolutionary makeup skincare hybrid and mm -hmm. it's taken a long time to produce, but 
um, yeah, it had to tick a lot of boxes. So <laughs> I'm not surprised that it took a long time because, again, not to, you know, speak ill of other brands, but I know a lot of brands have tried to do something similar, certainly yeah. in a similar category, and it's it's fallen short. But this, yeah. magnificent. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, even though there are those similar products kind of on the market in terms of probably just their texture and consistency, mm. I don't think there's anything really that stacks up to it in terms of its performance. So mm. completely um, agree. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> no bias from me, so I can say that. <laughs> now, you have been part of the beauty industry for upwards of 15 years now. Over the last, let's say the last few years, we'll hone in a bit, what have been some of the biggest changes that you have seen within the industry? Uh, Definitely technology. Um, And, you know, the way we communicate and market and connect to our customers. So, you know, back in the day, we used to do road shows and trade shows and events where we were face-to-face with our customers. And now everything's um, digital. So it's, yeah, the way we communicate and the way we buy, the way we shop. Um, we had, you know, um, to have our products out in store for people to use. And, and that was our only means of getting a product out there, but now we can offer them through you know all these incredible digital platforms and talk about them and and show their features and benefits so um definitely yeah the way we communicate the way we market the way we shop and probably also innovations through manufacturing and having access to different um yeah ingredients packaging um so many different more options now than there was back then And what changes do you think that we can expect to see from the beauty industry over the next few years? I think because of the increasing pressure to um, adopt this environmentally friendly, sustainable options, and I think businesses have that pressure on them to be more sustainable, which is awesome. Um, It's a shift and a strong movement towards... um, you know, I guess if there's any positive takeouts from COVID and the pandemic um, coming out of this global crisis, it's people reevaluate to and, you know, they're connecting to what they care about. And I guess we're seeing people starting to choose brands based on what the brands stand for and, mm-hmm. um, you know, are they transparent and authentic? So I would expect and hope to see more of that and a focus on sustainability and brand transparency. My final question, what is next for Eye of Horus Cosmetics? Ooh, um, well, we've recently just opened our concept store in the industrial state in Byron Bay. Amazing. such an incredible space. Um, Yeah, it's been on my vision board for years and it's finally materialised. I feel like it encapsulates who we are and um, hopefully you can come and visit us one day. But yes, um, we plan to offer a lot in store, including, you know, makeup events and workshops and limited edition products on offer. And um, we also plan to develop more of our skin range. So planning to weave more of that 
you know, locally made artisan crafted products through our business strategy and release more products that are centered around skin. So um, it will come full circle and probably finish on skincare products and um, bringing in production. So as yeah. much production in house as possible. So where we can, um, you know, reduce waste and have control over everything. My dad makes all our point of sale stands, for example, now. Um, he can make them out of sustainable materials. So ideally, we would love to produce our cartons ourselves and, um, yeah, bring everything more in-house. That's the plan, the ultimate goal. <laughs> that was Holly Schleck founder of Eye of Horace Cosmetics, which you can find on Instagram at Eye of Horace Cosmetics. To read this interview, you can visit glowjournal.com and for more beauty news, you can find me on Instagram at gemkwatts or at glow.journal. If you liked this episode, please do not forget to subscribe, rate, review and share so other beauty and business lovers can find us. I'm Gemma Watts. You've been listening to the Glow Journal podcast and thank you for joining me.